Chapter Thirty Two of the Rangeland Avenger by Max Brand. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Through the branches of the copse in which she was hiding, the girl saw the sun descend in the west, a streak of slowly dropping fire, and now she became excited. As soon as it's dark, Arizona had promised, I'll make my start. Have your horse ready. Be in the saddle and the minute you see us come down that trail out of Sour Creek, be ready to feed your horse to spur and join us, because when we come, we'll come fast. Don't make no mistake. If you ride too slow, we'll have to ride slow, too. And slow riding means gunplay on both sides, and gunplay means dead men, because the evening is a pile worse, nor the dark for fooling a man's aim. You'll see me and Sinclair scoot along that there road, with a gang yelling behind us. Having made this farewell speech, he waved his hand and, with a smile of confidence, jogged away from her. It was the beginning of a dull day of waiting for her, yet a day in which she dared not altogether relax her vigilance, because at any time the break might come, and Arizona might appear flying down the trail with the familiar tall form of Sinclair beside him. Wearily, she waited until sundown. With the coming of dusk, she wakened suddenly and became tinglingly alert. The night spread rapidly down out of the mountains. The color faded, and the sudden chill of the high altitude settled about her. Her hands and her feet were cold with a fear of excitement. Into the gathering gloom she strained her eyes. Toward Sour Creek she strained her ears, staring at every faint sound of a man's shout or the barking of a dog, as if this might be the beginning of the uproar that would announce the escape. Something swung onto the road out of the end of the main street. She was instantly in the saddle, but by the time she reached the edge of the copse she found it to be only a wagon filled with singing men, going back to some nearby ranch. Then quiet dropped over the valley, and she became aware that it was the utter dark. Arizona had failed. That knowledge grew more surely upon her with every moment. His intention must have been guessed, for she could not imagine that slippery and cold-minded fellow being thwarted. If he were left free to work as he pleased, toward an object he desired. She could not stay in the grove all night. Besides, this was the critical time for Riley Sinclair. Tomorrow he would be taken to the security of the Woodville jail, and the end would be close. If anything were done for him, it must be done before morning. With a thought in mind, she rolled boldly out of the trees and took the road into town. Were the lights of the early evening had turned from white to yellow as the night deepened. Sour Creek was hardly a mile away when a rattling in the dark announced the approach of a buckboard. She drew rein at the side of the trail. Suddenly the wagon loomed out at her, with two down-headed horses jogging along and the loose rein swinging above their backs. Hello, called Jig. The brakes ground against the wheels, squeaking in protest. The horses came to a halt so willingly and suddenly 
that the collar shoved halfway up their necks, and the tongue of the wagon lurched beyond their noses. Whoa! Evening there. You kind of give me a start, stranger. Parroting the dialect as well as she was able, Jig said, Sorry, stranger. Might that be Sour Creek? It sure might be, said the driver, leaning through the dark to make out Jig. New in these parts? Yep. I'm over from Whiteacre way, and I'm aiming for Woodville. Whiteacre? Doggone me, if it ain't good to meet a Whiteacre boy. I was raised there, son. Joe Lunids is my name. I'm Texas Lou, said the girl. There was a subdued chuckle from the darkness. You sound kind of young for a name like that, kid. Leastwise, your voice is tolerable young. I'm old enough, said Jig aggressively. Sure, sure, placated the other. Sure you are. Besides, she went on, I wanted a name that I could grow up to. It brought a hearty burst of laughter from the wagon. That's a good one, Texas. Have a drink. She set her teeth over the refusal that had come to her lips, and reining near, reached out for the flask. The driver passed over the bottle, and at the same time lighted a match for the apparent purpose of starting a cigarette. But Jiggs nodded her head in time to obscure her face with the flopping brim of her sombrero. The other coughed in his disappointment. She raised the bottle after uncorking it, firmly securing the neck with her thumb. After a moment she lowered it, and sighed with satisfaction, as she had heard men do. Thanks, said Jiggs, handing back the flask. Hot stuff, partner. You got a tough throat, observed the rancher. First I ever see that didn't choke on a swig of that. But you youngsters has the advantage of a sound linings for your innards. He helped himself from the flask, coughed heavily, and then pounded home the cork. How's things up Whiteacre way? Fair to Midland, said Jig. They ain't hollering for rain so much as they was. I reckon not, agreed the rancher. And how's things down Sour Creek way, asked Jig. Trouble busting every minute, said the other. Murder, gun scrapes, brawls in the hotel, to beat anything I ever see. The town is sure going plumb to the dogs at this rate. You don't say. Well, I heard something about a gent named Quade being plugged. Him? He was just the beginning, just the start. Since then, we had a man took away from old Kern, which don't happen once in a coon age. Then we had a fine fresh of murders right this morning, and the present minute, there's two in jail on murder charges, and both are sure to swing. Jig gasped. Two, she exclaimed. Yep. There was a skinny schoolteacher named, I forgot what, most generally was called Cold Feet, which fit it. They thought he killed Quade on account of a girl, but a gent named Sinclair up and confessed, and he is waiting for the rope. And then a sheriff, all by himself, grabbed Arizona for the murder of Sanderson. Oh, times is picking up considerable in Sour Creek. Reminds me of twenty years back, before Kern come on the job and cleaned up the gunfighters. Two murders, repeated the girl faintly. And has Arizona confessed, too? Not him, but the sheriff has enough to give him a hard run. 
I've got to be drifting on, son. Take my advice and head straight for Woodville. You lack five years of being old enough for Sour Creek these days. He called his farewell, threw off the brake, and cursed the span of horses into their former trot. As for Jig, she waited until the scent of alkali dust died away, and the rattle of the buckboard was faint in the distance. Then she turned her horse back toward Sour Creek and urged it to a steady gallop, bouncing in the saddle. There seemed a fatality about her. On her account, Sinclair had thrown his life in peril, and now Arizona was caught and held in the same danger. Enough of sacrifices for her. Her mind was firm to repay some of these services at any cost, and she had thought of a way. With that gloomy purpose before her, her ordinary timidity disappeared. It was strange to ride into Sour Creek, and she passed in review among the rough men of the town, constantly fearful that they might pierce her disguise. She had trained herself to a long stride and a swaggering demeanor, and by constant practice she had been able to lower the pitch of her voice and roughen its quality. Yet in spite of the constant practice, she never had been able to gain absolute self-confidence. Tonight, however, there was no fear in her. She went straight to the hotel, through the reins, and walked boldly through the door into a cluster of men. They yelled at the sight of her. "'Jigs, by guns! He's come in. Say, kid, the sheriff's been looking for you.' They swerved around her, grinning good-naturedly. When a person has been almost lynched for a crime another has committed, he gains a certain standing, no matter what may be the public opinion of his courage. The schoolteacher had become a personage, but Jig met their smiles with a level eye. "'If the sheriff's looking for me,' she said, "'tell him I have a room in the hotel. He can find me here.' Pop shook hands before he shoved the register toward her. "'My kids will sure be glad to see you safe back,' he said. "'And I'm glad, too, Jig.' Nodding, she turned to sign her name in the bold, free hand which she had cultivated. She could feel the crowd staring behind her, and she could hear their murmurs. But she was not nervous. It seemed that all apprehension had left her. "'Where's Cartwright?' she asked. "'Sitting in a game of poker.' Hello, buddy, she called to a red-headed youngster. Go in and tell Cartwright that I'm waiting for him in my room, will you? Ain't no use, said Pop, staring at this new and more masculine jig. Cartwright is all heated up about the game, and he's lost enough to get anybody excited. He won't come. Better go in there if you want to see him. I'll try my luck this way, said Jig coldly. Run along, buddy. Buddy obeyed, and Jig went up the stairs to her room. "'What's come over him?' asked the crowd, the moment Cold Feet was out of sight. "'Looks like he growed up in a day.' "'He's gone through enough to make a man out of him,' answered Pop. "'Never can tell how a kid will turn out.' But in her room, Jig had sunk into a chair, dropped her elbows on the table, and buried her face in her hands, trying to steady her thoughts." She heard the heavy pounding of feet on the stairs, a strong tread in the hall that made the flooring of the old building quiver, and then the door was flung open, slammed shut, 
and the key turned in the lock. Cartwright set his shoulders against the door, as though he feared she would try to rush past him. He stared at her with a queer mixture of fear, rage, and astonishment. So I've got you at last, huh? I got you after all this. Curiously, she stared at him. She had dreaded the interview, but now that he was before her, she was surprised to find that she felt no fear. She examined him as if from a distance. Yes, she admitted, you have me. Will you sit down? I need room to talk, he said, swaggering to the table. He struck his fist on it. Now to start with, what in thunder did you mean by running away? We're leaving the past to bury the past, she said. That's the first concession you have to make. He laughed, his laughter ending with a choked sound. And why should I make concessions? Jiggs watched the veins of fury swell in his forehead, watched calmly, and then threw her sombrero on the bed and smoothed back her hair, still watching, without a change of expression. It seemed as if her calm acted to sober him, and the passing of her hand across the bright silken hair all at once softened him. He sank into the opposite chair, leaning far across the table toward her. Honey, take you all in all, you're prettier right here in this man's outfit that I ever see you, a pile prettier. For a moment she closed her eyes. The sacrifice which she intended was becoming harder, desperately hard to make. I'm going to take you back and forgive you, said Cartwright, apparently blind to what was going on in her mind. I ain't one to carry malice. You keep to the line from now on and we'll get along fine. But you step crooked just once more and I'll learn you a pile of things you never even dreamed could happen. To her it seemed that he stood in a shaft of consuming light that exposed every shadowy nook and cranny of his nature, and the narrow-minded meanness that she saw startled her. What you do afterward with me is your own affair, she said. It's about the present that I've come to bargain. Bargain? Exactly. Do what I ask, and I go back and act as your wife. If you refuse, I walk out of your life forever. He could not speak for a moment. Then he exploded. It's funny. I could almost laugh hearing you chatter crazy like this. Don't you think I've got a right to make my own wife come home with me? Now that I've found her, wouldn't the law stand behind me? You can force me to come, she admitted quietly, but if you do, I'll let the whole truth be known that I ran away from you. Can your pride stand that, Jude? He writhed. And how you'll get around that, even if I don't make you, and you come back of your own free will? Somehow I'll manage. I'll find a story of how I was carried away by half a dozen men who had come to loot the upper rooms of the house while the wedding party was downstairs. I'll find a story that will wash. Yes, I think you will, said Cartwright, breathing heavily. I sure think you will. You was always a clever little devil. I know. But a bargain? I ought to. He checked himself. But I'm through with the black talk. When I get you back on the ranch, I'll show you that you can be happy up there. And now when you get over your fool notions, you'll be a wife to be proud of. Now, honey, 
Tell me what you want. I want you to save the lives of two men. They're both in jail, on my account. And they're both charged with murder. You know who I mean. Cartwright rose out of his chair. Sinclair, he groaned. Curse him. Sinclair again, huh? What's they between you two? Her answer smothered his fury again. It was pain that was giving her strength. Jude, if you really want me to go back with you, don't ask that question. He has treated me as an honorable man, always treats a woman. He tried to serve me. Serve you? By coming here trying to kill me? He may have thought I wished to be free. He didn't tell me what he was going to do. That's a lie. He stopped, watching her white face. I don't mean that, you know. But you ain't actually asking me to get Sinclair out of jail. Besides, I couldn't do it. You could easily. Moreover, it is to your interest. It will take a strong jail to hold him. And if he breaks away, you know that he's a dangerous man. He hates you, Jude, and he might try to find you, if he did. She waved her hand, and Cartwright followed the gesture with great fascinated eyes, as if he saw himself dissolving into thin air. I know he's a desperado right enough, the Sinclair. Ain't I seen him work? He shuddered at the memory. But get him out of jail, Jude, and that will be ended. He'll be your friend. Could I trust him? Don't you think Riley Sinclair is a man to be trusted? I don't know. He lowered his eyes. Maybe he is. As for Arizona, she went on, the same thing holds for him. Yes, if I could get one out, I could get two. But how can I do it? This Sheriff Kern is a fighting idiot and loves a gunplay. Ain't no man-killer, honey. But you're rich, Jude. Tolerable. There may be one or two has more than me around these parts. And money buys men. Don't it, though, said Jude, expanding. Why, when they found out that I was a spender, they started in hounding me. One gent wanted me to help him on a mortgage, only fifty bucks to meet a payment. And they's half a dozen would mortgage their souls if I'd stake em to enough downstairs to get em into a crap game or something. Then let them have the money they need. Why, it wouldn't be more than a hundred dollars altogether. A hundred is a hundred. Why should I throw it away on them bums? Because after you've done it, you'll have a dozen men who'll follow you. You'll have a mob. Sure, but what of that? Expect me to lead an attack on a jail, huh? Throw my life away. By guns? I think you'd like that. You don't have to lead. Just give them the money they need, and then spread the word around that Riley Sinclair is really an honorable man who killed Quade in a fair fight. I know what they thought of Quade. He was a bully. No one liked him. Tell them it's a shame that a man like Sinclair should die because he killed a big, hulking cur such as Quade. They'll listen, particularly, if they have your money. I know these men, Jude. If they think an injustice is being done, they'll risk their necks to right it. And if you work on them in the right way, you can have twenty men who'll risk everything to get Riley out. But there won't be a risk. If twenty men rush to jail, the guards will simply throw down their guns and give up. 
Well, I wonder, muttered Cartwright. I'm sure of it, Jude. Do you think a deputy will let himself be killed simply to keep a prisoner safely? They won't do it. You don't know this Kern. I do know him, and I know that he's human. I've seen him beaten once already. By Sinclair, you keep coming back to him. Jude, if you do this thing for me, she said steadily, I'll go back with you. I don't love you, but if I go back, I'll keep you from a great deal of shameful talk. I'm sorry, truly, that I left. I couldn't help it. It was an impulse that took me by the throat. And if I go back, I'll honestly try to make you a good wife. She faltered a little before that last word, and her voice fell. But Jude Cartwright was wholly fascinated by the color in her face and the softness of her voice he mistook for a sudden rise of tenderness. There's only one thing I got to ask, you and Sinclair. Have you ever, I mean, have you ever told him you're pretty fond of him, that you love him? He blurted it out, stammering. Certainly she knew that her answer was a lie, though it was true in the letter. I never told him so, she said firmly, but I owe him a great debt. He must not die because he's a gentleman, Jude. All the time she was speaking, he watched her with ferret sharpness, thinking busily. Before she ended, he had reached his decision. I'm going to raise that mob. Jude? What a ring in her voice. If he had been in doubt, he would have known then. No matter what she said, she loved Riley Sinclair. He smiled sourly down on her. Keep your thanks. You'll hear news of Sinclair before morning. And he stalked out of the room. End of chapter 32